All right. My name's Matt. I'm an addict. Uh, super grateful to be here tonight. Congratulations to everybody who took chips. Dude, awesome job, man. Happy birthday. Like, you know, it, it got me thinking back to like when I had like a year and, uh, you know, it, it's, it's just a fucking miracle. You know, so many people don't make it that far, you know, and, and I really like, you know, following that direction, you know, because that was like the biggest thing I had to learn, you know, when I was finally ready to get clean, right? Um, I had to learn how to follow direction because if I didn't, you know, my way of thinking and my way of doing things got me this seat, you know, and it kept me going back out. So, you know, just keep following that direction. And, and you know, I can't wait to see you next year taking another birthday. Uh, so experience, strength and hope, man. Um, you know, I guess my experience, you know, I really don't usually go back too far, you know, when I speak, but um, tonight's like a little different for me. Um, you know, growing up, like I grew up, uh, on the East Coast, Philadelphia. And, uh, you know, I grew up with a mom who was bipolar schizophrenic. Uh, if you know anything about those uh, two mental illnesses, uh, we're both gnarly and together it wasn't great, especially like unmedicated. Um, and I had a father who, uh, you know, to no fault of his own, wasn't around much. He was a traveling salesman. That's how he provided. So he would leave on business on a Monday and he'd come home on a Friday, you know, and then it would be me left with my mom all week. Uh, there was no drugs or alcohol growing up in my family. Um, I'm adopted. I'm more like kind of the black sheep. You know, it was just a solution I found later on in life to help me deal with my reality at the time. Uh, but one of my youngest childhood memories is when I was eight years old and, uh, my dad took me and he dropped me off at a friend of the family's, uh, Greg and Renee's house. And, uh, I found out that day that, uh, my mom was uh, committed to the psych ward and that she would be there for a little bit. It was like kind of like an undetermined thing. So uh, when um, he dropped me off there, he dropped me off there because obviously like I'm eight years old, he has to go work. So, you know, uh, from about eight to 15, almost 16, you know, I practically lived with uh, Greg and Renee, you know, I'd come home with my dad on the weekends and like have a good time and everything like that. Uh, try and have somewhat of a normal existence. And, uh, you know, during the week, I would be right back to Greg and Renee. Um, and my mom was like intermittent, like in and out of the psych wards at that time, you know, when she would go home, like I would try and go home, but it just never really worked out too well. Um, and, you know, at, the, at that point, like, that was my family. You know, uh, Greg and Renee have uh, three kids. Uh, Alex was two years younger than me. Uh, Brittany was four years younger than me. And Alyssa was a year younger than me. Um, so, you know, that was kind of like, you know, the family that I grew up with and, uh, you know, the siblings that, like, I never had that I always longed for. Because, like, when I was caught in my mom's crosshairs growing up, like, the only thing I wished was for, like, a younger brother that I could throw in front of her so I didn't have to fucking deal with it at the time. So like, which came true, you know, I got, I got like that family, but like what came with that, like Alex was like me, you know, we started smoking weed mad young, uh, drinking, you know, kind of doing like the dumb shit, you know, Brittany would always like hang around because, you know, she just wanted to hang out with like people that we were hanging out with. And, um, you know, it's, I don't like to go into too much detail, but like, you know, you said like shit got bad quick and it stayed bad for a very long time. You know, I had a couple uh, suspensions from school. You know, I started selling you know, crack cocaine and heroin. And, uh, you know, I uh, did like a juvenile long term placement facility. I don't know if anybody knows anything about that, but they're not fun. Um, you know, so I did that for a year, uh, got out of there, went back to juvie, but uh, walked off my like juvenile probation within uh, about a week. I caught my adult case. Um, I got locked up with Alex uh, for about three months, got out for a month, went upstate, like it just like kept snowballing. 
you know, I, I uh, did three and a half years upstate when I turned 18. And when I got out, I was like, crack cocaine is my problem. Crack cocaine is definitely my freaking problem. Like I should shoot heroin. And that was my justification. That was my idea. Right. Cause in Philadelphia, you know, I mean, like I, you know, I grew up around like the crack, but like, it was always like this big thing. Everybody like, you know, heroin addicts coming from like all over the East coast, like talking about like heroin from Philadelphia. And I was like, I live here. Like, what is this heroin you speak of? You know? And like, I knew what the fuck it was, but like, I just never like really got into it. Cause like uppers are my thing. Like, I like that, you know, why, why mess with something when it's not broken? Well, my experience in uh, prisons and institutions taught me that like I was broken with crack cocaine. So the next logical step is to see what heroin is all about. I knew enough about heroin that I shouldn't smoke it. I shouldn't snort it, but I should shoot it because that is how you get high. At least that's what I was told. So uh, you know, I remember going over to a friend's house, right? And uh, he was like, you know, a guy was, uh, you know, selling weed to at the time. And uh, I go over there and he picks out this like little cigar case, cigar box, and he opens it up and it had the ring and it had this and it had that. And it was like, oh my goodness, that looks so cool. Like, show me. And uh, he did. And uh, I'm forever grateful to that guy, you know, and I forever will hate him. You know, it's it, it's like that love hate relationship. And that was a love hate relationship I had with uh, heroin, crack cocaine and alcohol my entire life. You know, I could not live in a reality without being messed up, you know, without being hot. Um, the, the reality of being sober was so scary. It was so scary. You know, to be, have to deal with the trauma from my childhood, to have to deal with the trauma as an adult living on the streets, being locked up, like all those different things. To have to face that was enough to keep me loaded, you know, no matter how bad life got. And life got bad. I actually like, uh, you know, the uh, Taylor was like mentioning when he first started out, like, you know, like doing like the huffing the markers and the pain and the gas. Yeah, like I've always been open about it and I feel weird as shit. So I'm so glad you said that. But like the end of my addiction looked like me living a back alley in fucking Philadelphia, smoking crack, shooting dope. And when I didn't have enough money for that, I had a bottle, of, uh, I had a Gatorade bottle filled with gasoline that I would fucking huff, man. And that was my end. You know, that was it. And, and that was my existence for months. And then a year and then two years. And every time I tried to get out of it, you know, I just fell back so quick, you know, and I guess that kind of brings me, um, you know, to the end of the road, you know, August 27th of 2014 found me in that back alley with that Gary bottle of gasoline, smoking some fucking K2 and shooting the last little bit of heroin that I had, you know, begging God to fucking take me out. You know, uh, like I was never spiritual, never religious. I grew up in a Catholic family, so I knew there was this God that they speaketh of, but I wasn't really sure what the hell that was. But in those moments of pure and total desperation, boy, did I talk to that dude, whoever the hell he was. And I was just like, please just take me out. Please just kill me. Like, don't let me wake up. Let me do this last, let me do this last shot and let it be it. And that was like my whole existence at that time. And um, that night when I did that last little bit, like hoping it, it was it was the end, I went to sleep. Well, nodded out. Um, and then um, I, I got woken up at like 2.30 in the morning with a flashlight in my face. Anybody know what that means? Oh, yeah. Yeah, please. Yeah. So it uh, wasn't really the exit plan that I had in my head at the night when I was uh, like nodding out. But, you know, it was an exit plan. So uh, they picked me up on warrant sweeps because I had one of those two. And uh, they threw me in county. 
Um, and that's how I started this journey the first time. Let me like pretense that the first time. So August 27th, 2014, I landed in county jail and I was freaking done. Let me tell you, you know, um, at that moment in my life, like I wanted nothing more than just to like stop using. Like I had a six month old child, you know, it was the first time being locked up with a kid in my life that was like mine. You know, and, and, and I wanted nothing more to just be able to, like, be well for him. But I had no idea how to do that. I had some experiences with, like, 12-step fellowships, you know, AANA, AANA out there, you know. So I had those experiences with the steps. And I knew there was this solution, but um, I didn't know what to do about it, you know. So uh, I spent two months in there, and I went to court, and I went in front of a judge. I was looking at a PD violation. I was looking at some freaking time and I went in front of the judge and I was just like, you know, your honor, like, I swear to God, I'm done. And like the dude rolls his eyes. Like how many times did you hear that a day? You know? And, you know, I went on, like, I wrote him this whole long freaking letter about how, like, if he wanted me to do like a two years upstate that I'll do four years in a rehab, like I'm done. Didn't know that like, that wasn't a thing. Like you can't go to treatment for four years. I don't care what kind of insurance you had, but, um, you know, that's how like inside how done I was. And I didn't know how to portray that feeling. You know, it talks about it in the book, you know? And so, um, when I went in front of that judge and he looked at me and he was like, all right, dude, you got your shot, but that's it. Like I'm red flagging you, which means like, if I ever get in trouble again, I'm going in front of the same judge. Um, and if I ever see you again, I'm going to throw the book at you and you're looking at six years so he said he wants he wanted me to go to a court-ordered rehab and after that don't ever come back to see him again and I had about a almost two years to walk off that probation so I left the jail um I went to a rehab and that jail fucking sucked it was county it was like a county prison it doubled as a prison um it was 23 and a half hour lockdown every single second I was in there I was like this sucks I'm sitting on my bed trying to like you know just think about the moment I walk out, you know, I don't know if anybody can relate to that, but it's really shitty feeling behind bars when you're in that, that state of like that mindset, right. Counting down literally every second on the clock. Okay. I have 5,268 minutes to go, you know? Um, and then when I got out, I got into that treatment. Um, I don't know if anybody knows what a row home is, but uh, it's, you know, if anybody's from the East coast, you know what I'm talking about. Um, it was a, uh, White Deer Run of Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and it was 28 dudes in a row home. Fun. It was horrible. But I remember sitting in my bed that night thinking to myself about that jail experience that I had been in 24 hours prior, and I was like, that wasn't so bad. I could do that again. And I was like, wait a second. Like 24 hours ago, you were like ready to kill yourself to get out of jail. Like, that was horrible. So I sat down and I kept my feet still and I stayed in that treatment. I was in that treatment for 28 days. Um, my brother Alex came to visit me. Um, Brittany was like getting loaded at the time, but like Alex was like trying to do like the sober thing. So he's like telling me like, hey, you know, you know, when you get out of here, you should go to a sober living. You should go to a sober living. I was like, nah, fuck that. I'm not doing that. You know, it's like, um, I'll be good. Um, so day 27, I decided to go to the sober living. Day 28, I got released. Um, because like a good addict, I like to wait till the last possible second to make my decisions. Um, and usually I'm forced into it by somebody who cares about me a lot more than I care about myself, you know? So I ended up going to that, uh, sober living and, um, you know, it was in the middle of the freaking hood. You had uh, a dope dealer on the corner yelling free samples all day. That was enticing. And, uh, you know, 
the dude next to us was like, you know, a hitman who sold crack. So he was a pretty cool dude though. Like I've given him that, like he was awesome. I had a lot of really cool conversations with him while he was twacked out of his mind. But uh, every night I would leave that sober living. I would link up with my brother. He lived a couple blocks away, Alex, and we would walk, walk to a meeting. You know, we walked, uh, sometimes we walked for like an hour and a half just to get to a meeting. And, and that was like my days. Like I spent my, some of like the happiest moments in my sobriety were in that sober living. It was a rundown mess and you had to walk through an alleyway full of rats to even get in the house, but it was freaking awesome. You know, it wasn't like out here where like, you know, it was on insurance and you had to go, uh, you know, you had to go to IOP in the morning. Like they literally, the day I got there um, out of the rehab, I was, uh, I had one pair of clothes to my name, uh, shower shoes from County, the Bob Barkers. And uh, it was in the middle of freaking winter. And uh, I got there and they were like, yeah, so you got uh, four days. Ah, we'll give you five days to get a job. And then you start paying rent. And I was like, okay. And then they're like, oh yeah. And you can't be in the house from 5 a.m. to 4 p.m. until you get a job. I was like, damn, like this sucks. I'd rather go back to that rehab. And then I was like thinking to myself, wait a second. There's 28 dudes in a row home. That freaking sucked. Like, why would you want to go back there? So I kept my feet there, you know, and I started like doing what those people told me to do. You know, and uh, I was in that sober living um, within four months. Um, they asked me to be the house manager, which I got a deduction from rent. It wasn't free rent, but it was deduction deductions. So that was cool. And, um, you know, I managed that sober living for about a year and a half. I managed that sober living for about a year and a half. And like I said, like during that amount of time, it was some of the fondest memories that I had in, in sobriety. Um, about three months into that, I... Uh, Met a girl uh, about three months after that, I got engaged. Um, and about you know a couple months after that, I decided to move out with said girl because like that was awesome and my life and I had made it. I was serving at a diner working night shift, making like barely minimum wage. But like I had this grandiose idea in my head that like everything was going to work out. And, you know, she was sober for a little bit longer than me. So, you know what? She wasn't going to fuck up. So it's going to be cool. Um, you know it was great. It was good for a while. You know what I mean? Like everything, everything kind of fell into place, you know, making ends meet, you know, going to meetings, like hanging out, you know, with the fellowship. And like, you know, that was like my experience in the program that it was like the meetings. And as long as I did my step work with my sponsor and uh, as long as like I did all these things, like I was going to stay sober and I was going to be happy and everything was going to work out. Um, you know, it was, uh, Right after my two-year mark, I'd been, I'd been sober for two years. Um, I came home from work, and I found her in my living room with a needle in her arm, and she had passed away from a heroin overdose while I was at work. Um, I made it about another two months. I fired my sponsor. Let's get that straight, like, real quick. Like, the last thing I wanted to do was, like, be told how to get out of pain and misery at that point. Uh, so I fired my sponsor, stopped talking to the fellowship, didn't go to a single meeting. And for about two months, I stayed sober on complete and total freaking willpower and white knuckling the hell out of a chair. Um, eventually, I decided to make the decision that I'd rather be high and miserable than sober and miserable. And that was like a huge decision for me. So I went down to uh, the bar. I uh, got like a 40, did a couple shots there. I remember very very little of the next three weeks. I know I showed up to work because my boss sent me an email firing me, but I still showed up. Um, and uh, 
there was very few moments that were just clear, very few moments that were just clear. And uh, about three and a half weeks after I relapsed, I came to, and I was sitting in my room and I was just, I was stone cold freaking sober. And I don't know how that happened, but I was sober and I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Again, I had gotten to that feeling that I had been years, two and a half years prior in that back alley with that last shot and that Gatorade bottle. I had arrived at that moment in three and a half weeks. Um, so I decided to, you know, call the number on the back of my insurance company. Um, actually, you know, let me be honest. So I made a bet with God that night, you know, um, I had a 357 snub nose and I put one bullet in it. And, you know, for me, I'm like the type of addict, you know, I don't know if anybody can relate this whole pride and ego thing. Like there's a lot of it. There's a lot of it for me. And my ego was so big that I knew the solution was in a room like this, only back East, you know, and uh, I couldn't level myself enough to, to go into that room and ask for help to people that I had been clean and sober with for so long. So I put a bullet in there. I gave it a spin. And I made a bet with God that night. I said, I want to die. You know, here I go again, you know, trying to control the show. I want to die. Take me out. If you don't, I'll go to treatment. And, uh, you know, I'm obviously here. So that went well. And God <laughs> had different plans. So I ended up uh, calling the number on the back of that card. And I went to treatment. Um, funny enough, my brother Alex had just uh, been out here for treatment. He landed in the exact same spot and same committee that I did. Um, he he like basically we crossed paths coming coming back because parole yanked him back because he was still on paper and I came out because I relapsed. So I did uh, November fourth of two thousand sixteen, which is my sobriety date. I did a twenty eight day little uh, detox PHP run, um, you know, because like I had good enough insurance to get me out of here, but not good enough insurance to get me that like residential. So you know, I did like that PHP. And uh, I was hell bent on going home. Like, screw California. I want to go back to Philadelphia. Said nobody ever except me right there. Uh, you know, um, so like, you know, like my last time, you know, I, I waited until literally like seconds to the last day. And if I'm being completely honest, I chased a girl out here because I went to uh, rehab like somewhere over there. Uh, Hemet. I want to say it was, I don't know, Hemet. Um, and there was this girl in my treatment center that I was like friendly with who like came out to like San Clemente and uh, the, the, the counselor was like, we think we're going to send you to like the Oceanside PPR, which is like an all male facility. And I was like, no, like, I'm not going there. Like <laughs> you got to send me to San Clemente. Like if I'm going to PPR, I'm going to go there. You know, I get out here she has a boyfriend, like, it was, like, two days, whatever, you know, now I'm stuck in St. Clemente, like, you know, I got this, like, pride and ego, so I can't call my dad and be, like, send me home, I don't want to, like, I don't want to be out here, so I just, like, you know, sucked it up, and, like, I started, like, doing, like, the IOP thing, man, and I settled into a sober living, um, I got, uh, you know, acquainted with the guys in my house, you know, I didn't really, like, mess with too many people in my, like, direct sober living, just a select few, and uh, I got a sponsor and I started working steps because like I said, like I had experience like, with the solution. Um, so I started doing that um, and it was about four months in. Four months in, I took my first visit home. Um, I had been like coming to meetings, call my sponsor a little bit here and there. But like as far as like really getting into the work, I was just like, yeah, I'll get to it. You know, like I've done this before. Let me enjoy the beach you know, there's some nice weather out here. So, uh, 
you know, I went home for my first visit and um, I came, I saw my mom who in the past four years had gotten on the right set of medication and we had a beautiful, wonderful relationship. And I want to stress that, like, you know, I couldn't have asked for a better mom. Like I would have gone through it all again in order to get that last four, four years of her life. Um, she was loving, caring. She was my rock. I was able to call her like every, every night at like two o'clock in the morning because she was an insomniac too. So like every, every night at two o'clock in the morning, if I was like freaking out, I could call my mom and she'd pick up the phone. Uh, so I saw my mom and then I went and saw my dad. They had divorced years back and I came back to uh, California. Um, three days back in California, uh, I'd called my mom every day. I didn't hear from her. So like, I kind of had this feeling inside like something was wrong. Um, so I called the local police department to do a welfare check. And that's when they informed me that they found my mom. She had passed away from a heart attack uh, shortly after I flew back to California. And at four months sober, I was sitting in the sober living on the phone with a police captain back east telling me that my mom had passed away and that he was sorry. Um, all as I can say is uh, I did not stay sober on my own. I had guys pretty much around me 24 seven. Um, I'm forever grateful for the treatment center that I was at. They really like put me on lock and key. Um, I had a therapist on call whenever I wanted. And um, like, I owe them my, my life during that time. Um, you know, uh, I'm a firm believer that, you know, I'm not a first time winner, obviously. Like, you know, I have multiple sobriety freaking dates throughout my entire life. But, um, you know, I'm a firm believer that if you're lucky enough to make it back, your best is you you better have learned something. You better have learned something. And the one thing I took away from my experience back east, uh, losing someone that you love, um, it doesn't get any better getting loaded. Like I had just proven that self to me. So I kind of made a commitment to myself there that like I wasn't going to go down that road again. Uh, three and a half weeks after that, um, my brother who had been out here and then gone back, back east for treatment, uh, they found him at the top of the stairs, fentanyl overdose. He passed away. Um, so within... Um, you know, within a month, at four, four to five months sober, I lost my mom. And then I lost the closest thing to a, a brother that I've ever had in my entire life. Um, you know, it was hard. It was hard. It was hard. I took about a month in the uh, month in the sober living before the guys around me kind of was like, all right, you're done. They pulled me to a meeting and I got another sponsor and I started getting into the work. And, you know, thank God for that experience. Right. Because uh, I went through the steps and I went through the steps in a way where it was like pretty quick, pretty quick. And uh, I got like kind of like, you know, the same experience that I had back east. You know, it was enough to it was enough to kind of like keep me sober and, and, and get me through that point in my life. You know, um, made it about three years before, you know, um, like I, I was I was sponsoring like 12 guys at a time and like going to like five to seven meetings a week. And I took a panel into a sober living and freaking traveling to go to meetings and like, Oh yeah, it was detox tech. So like, it was like super recovery, you know what I mean? But like all that was like, I later found out was just like a form of self-validation. Like I, I had missed like a huge, huge key part of this program, you know? And uh, that's why I said when I started off, you know, my experience up until about a year ago in this program was that sponsor meetings, step work, fellowship, service, like that was what's going to keep me sober. And you know what? It, it, it got me. It got me a lot. You know, about a year and a half ago, you know, I found myself, you know, back into that like mentally broken 
an emotionally broken state of living, you know, that I could not get past to save my freaking life. You know, I was driving DoorDash thinking that that was going to be my full-time job for a while because like, Hey, why not? You know, like I can do whatever I want. Like I have all this free time to like go to meetings and do shit, you know? So like, this is like the perfect, perfect fit, you know? Um, and I got really fucking miserable. And that's why, like, you know, I am forever in HA's debt, you know, specifically like Orange County HA's debt. You know, I was introduced to this fellowship in, in Orange County HA um, probably about two, two and a half years ago. Um, and, uh, you know, when people ask me, it was like, oh, what program do you work? Right. And they're like looking for like that AA, that HA, that CA, that NA like answer. I mean, like, man, I just worked steps. But like, if I had to like, like identify with a fellowship, it's HA. You know, what I found here was, was like this, the conception of the steps that I knew and so much more, you know, um, guys took me under their wing in this fellowship and like showed me a spiritual way of life, you know, a spiritual way of life found through like the 12 steps, like found in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, I've worked the steps in NA, I've worked the steps in AA, obviously, I've been a member of CA for a little bit, but like, I really found a home here in Orange County HA, you know? And, um, you know, when I got to that point in my life where I knew like I was in fucking trouble and like, I didn't know really what to do, you know, like, thank God HA was here and I, and I got myself a sponsor in this fellowship, you know? And, um, you know, I started going through the steps again, you know, but this time it was like in a different light, you know, this time, like it was a lot more about God and a lot less about me. You know, um, I'm not really like a big book, book thumper and I like really can't quote the big book a lot, but like, you know, some things like really stood out to me this time around, you know, um, I talked about that experience that I had, you know, the first time around in that county jail, right. And how bad that was, you know, and then like I get out and then like within 24 hours, I'm like, oh, that wasn't that bad. You know, and then I like thinking to myself, wait a second, what? Like that was fucking horrible. And the same thing from the rehab and the sober living. Well, like it talks about that shit in the book, man. Like I forget the pain and the misery and the remorse from even like a week or a month ago. You know, I'm without defense against the first drink. And like for me, like, you know, that's, you know, part of the reason what makes me powerless. You know, I'm a true born freaking heroin addict. You know what I mean? Like when I start, I can't stop. When I've stopped, I can't stay stopped. You know, eventually, it doesn't matter if it's today, tomorrow, a year, month, a year from now, like, I'm going to fucking pick up again. And I know that. Today, I fucking know that. You know, and I don't care if it's 20 years down the road. Like, I don't want to go back to living the same way that I was living. So, like, what do I have to do about it today? Well, if I can identify with the fact that, like, once I start, I can't stop. And once I've stopped, I can't stop then like, I know now that I'm powerless, that like, I have a freaking problem here that like, you know, I'm for lack of a better term, fucked. you know, if I don't do something about it, I have this reaction that takes place. Like when I put a substance in my system, something goes off, I get this freaking craving and it's next to impossible for me to stop. I have this mental obsession, this mental side of things that tells me every single day that somehow, some way, I'm gonna be able to drink and use drugs like a normal person. And then I'm gonna be able to control and enjoy my drinking. You know, it says in the book, that's the great obsession of every abnormal alcoholic. 
is somehow someday I'm going to be able to control and enjoy my drinking. Now, not to say like, you know, when I've relapsed in the past, like my thought is, oh yeah, this time I'm going to be able to control and enjoy this. Like, this is going to be great. You know, no, it's usually like my life is in fucking shambles. Like I want to get fucking loaded. But through that action, like I'm telling myself that it's going to be better than what I'm going through now. That I'm going to be able to somehow make this work and it's going to fix everything that's going on in my life. And every single time I've picked up or I've used, that's what I've either directly or subconsciously told myself. So I have this physical side of things. I have this mental side of things. And I've been real good in the past at like really kind of correcting those things, you know, or at least recognizing it. But what I've really failed to do every other time, like I've been through the steps or been in this program is to address that spiritual malady, right? You know, the term and the word God fucking terrified me, you know, and, and I came up with this conception of a higher power that would basically get my sponsor off my back and get you people not to ask me what it was. You know, God's loving, caring, forgiving, and it all works out. You know, it was great. You know, and it was just that, it was that bare minimum side of things that really, you know, I was able to like get away and like kind of fly under the fucking 12-step radar for a long time. And I'm not going to say it didn't work. Like I had periods of some like great sobriety, like back East was fucking awesome until life hit. And it was when life hit that that didn't work. You know, because every time I've gotten clean and sober, what have I done? I've put my complete and total reliance on another human being, my sponsor, you know, and uh, this time around, you know, the thing that stood out, about, out to me about my sponsor this time around was like, you know, I'm just here to take you through the book. You know, I, I'm here to take you through the book. Hopefully by doing that and like doing the steps, you're going to come to a conception of a power greater than yourself and that'll work for you. I'm not going to be able to keep you sober. And like this guy stood, sat across from me and he told me that. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, this isn't what I'm really used to. Like, I thought I'm supposed to run every little thing in my life by you before I do it. He's like, no, run that shit by God. Call a couple of people in your fellowship, then give me a call. Like, All right. So that's what I started doing. You know, he, he really took my hand and introduced me to a power greater than myself. He taught me, you know, what it meant to find my own conception of a higher power, who today is God. And I'm not terrified to say that. You know, I learned, you know, what it was like to walk in God's will. My entire life, you know, I had this idea, you know, when you come into this program and you hear like, oh, follow God's will. It's like, well, what's God's will for me? Have the house, have the money, have the car, be happy, like do all these freaking great things and you too shall be rewarded. You know, it was very, very Catholic. It was my like goodwill or God's will, goodwill, whatever, God's will um, conception, you know, and uh, by doing this process and doing what my sponsor told me, I realized like God's will has nothing to fucking do with what happens in my life. You know, God's will, like God could care less if I had a car. God could really care less if I had a house, you know, God doesn't really care if I have a place to lay my head or anything like that, you know, and again, somewhere in the book again, I don't know exactly where, but like God's will is just that like I treat his children like I would like to be treated. Am I being loving, caring, forgiving, accepting, tolerant, patient? Am I doing those things on a daily basis, you know, and, you know, I, I have a higher power who's like all powerful, all knowing. You know, so I don't have to have all the answers all the fucking time. And that's where my trust and my faith comes in. 
I was told a lot when I come in here, like when I came in here, acceptance is the answer to all your problems today. Fuck those people who say that all the time. I'm one of them. You know, I had to learn, you know, that I get acceptance through faith. Right. And through faith and through acceptance is how I was able to actually like, you know, sit down, work with this guy and get through the steps this time. I'll, uh, I'll wrap it up pretty quick here. I kind of lost track of the time. So I had a couple more minutes, but, um, so, you know, what my life looks like today, you know, um, as I said, like when I started that process with that guy, I was driving DoorDash, like really living, like not paying rent, living in a one bedroom apartment, pretty much doing nothing with my life. Um, I picked up a job as a detox tech and started going back to school. I'm almost finishing up a associates in psychology with a long-term plan of doing a master's. Um, I started working as a detox tech a year and a half ago. I'm now the program director for that company. Um, and again, none of it was like anything that I did. You know, I just took, you know, what was laid out in front of me and trust and power greater than myself. You know, um, today, you know, today I'm a recovered heroin addict. I recovered from a hopeless state of mind and body. You know, I have faith that, you know, everything's going to work out exactly how it's supposed to be in God's universe today. You know, I get to uh, fly back on a red eye tonight to go to the, the viewing for my little sis. You know, she, she, they, they found her in a hospital, uh, in a hotel uh, Saturday, died from a fentanyl overdose. You know, this shit is real. It's all around me and it's constantly around me every single fucking day, you know? And, uh, you know, if I was out ripping and running or if I didn't like find the solution that was presented in this, in this room and in this book, there's no way I would have been able to do that tonight, make it through tomorrow and come back. Okay. On Friday, you know, I have friends and I have, you know, loved ones in, in this program. You know, I have so much love and support today that like, I don't even know what to do with it all, you know, but the most important thing that I found as a result of these steps is, is a connection with a power greater than myself. And through that is what I've finally been able where I've finally been able to find that happiness I came to this program thinking that I just wanted to be sober I never realized that the real reason I came to this program was to find happiness and be at peace and experience serenity and those are like the real gifts that I've gotten since I've been here so again man congratulations one year is awesome thank you guys for being here tonight and with that I'm Matt and I'm an addict <laughs>